This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. We are back after Father's Day weekend and the Juneteenth holiday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, back in the saddle with you here on a Tuesday on One Bills Live. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Steve, you have a good Father's Day? I did. Good. Very nice. Good. Good. Very nice. It's a good weekend. Great weather. I mean, oh, my God. Oh my the God. weather yesterday. Phenomenal. That was like a perfect yeah. June day. Yeah. It was great yesterday. We Everybody had the day off. The Juneteenth holiday was great. I enjoyed it. Once again this year, got a got around a golf in first time in mm. like three weeks. It was great. I I was itching. I went. Uh, and by the way, I did smoke a couple of your cigars that you gave me. Oh yeah, on Saturday and they nice. They cleared the bar. It was okay, very good. Nice. Very I'm not. Nice. I'm not uh, an expert in. I know in you those, were concerned. You were concerned when you I was. Them. Lay those concerns to rest because you. No, that's good to hear. You can buy me cigars anytime you want. <laughs> uh, I actually. While you were playing golf, I went fishing uh, with my son, and we had, you know, some success. So we were happy with that. No monsters or anything, just, you know, some good activity. So that was good. Um, my son's nickname is Crash. And the reason why is there are always these mishaps of sorts that, that come up, and they usually involve him. Whether it was when he was a little kid, a vehicle, you know, crashing or? into walls and oh, stuff okay. and all that right. stuff. <laughs> he lost more lures yesterday than he caught fish. What is, <laughs> where were you fishing? Well, he kept getting snagged. In a junk heap or Tree something? branches, bottom of the creek, whatever it was. And then the, the coup de gras was, I'm, over, I'm 20 feet down the shoreline from him. I'm behind a bush or something. Yeah. I'm casting from the shoreline over here. He's 20 feet away from me. I come up to change a lure, and... I'm looking at him, and he's looking up in the tree, and he's got his pole in his hand straight over his head. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, well, uh, I caught a tree, which, you know, is not that uncommon along a shoreline. You know, you have a lot of trees hanging over, and sometimes, you know, you'll cast a little too far, and it'll go over a branch. You You try to lift it off and try to get it free. Steve, this branch was 30 feet in the air. Straight up? Straight up. You almost have to try to do so that, he, don't you? So he was in a tight area, so he couldn't cast on his left or his right, so he knew he had to cast overhead. Let the release go a little too early. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> we lost that lure, too. <laughs> but Can we you had imagine, a good, though, someday we somebody's going to be like, hey, what's that up there? Yeah. What, what's that brown worm oh hanging gosh, from a tree? What is that? What are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we had a good time. Uh, so that was good. And... um I got to tell you, I, I was, I, well, I got up early with my wife. We went for a workout. Then I went fishing with my son. Right. I got to tell you, by like two thirty, when you're not working and you're not in like work mode, <laughs> I think it's a lot easier to get tired. Oh yeah. Because I got to like two thirty, and I'm like, I'm gonna take a nap here. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm with you. Does that happen to you? Like when you're well, not in work mode and like I got to get to work, I got to do this. Gotta yeah, do that, you know, like and if you're just sitting at home. You got the day off, and all of a sudden two when thirty I, rolls around. If you get up early, I'm just like, wow, I could. I've always been one I to think, lay down for a second. I've here. always been one of those to like look out ahead in the day and say, okay, I'm gonna should be about this time. I should be able to wind down. When that time comes, whether I'm done or not, I wind it down. Yeah. That. So we had a little get together at the house Saturday night. Mm-hmm. The next day, you know. 
got a little work to do, cleaning up, right? <laughs> Dude, I was circling the drain for the last hour and a half of that little task. Not I was, oh my gosh, I was, oh man, I want to be done with this so bad. I don't know, I think so it's just bad. a mindset thing. Um, oh. I mean, sure, if you're short on sleep, you're going to be tired too, but I think it's just a mind, like, oh, I don't have work today, so... Well, I got all the things done I wanted to. It's, uh, oh, you know what? I Go fishing. I could take an hour nap here. Mm. <laughs> so I did that uh, out in the sun. It was nice. Highly underrated activity, uh, napping. Yeah. So we, we usually you know, make our way around the NFL, and we will do that here shortly. But Steve and I were fascinated by this story of this sightseeing submarine which had four passengers in a five-man, I guess you call it a sub. It's like a, it's a small, it's a, it's a submersible vessel. I don't know if I would call it a submarine, but, I mean, it goes underwater. So, yeah, I guess it qualifies. So it's a sightseeing submarine, and it's Ocean Expeditions is the company. And they, they have people fork over a lot of money to view the wreckage of the Titanic, which is 900 miles off the East Coast, Steve. Like, you're going out yeah. in the middle of the North and Atlantic here, and then you're going 12,500 feet down. It's like 2.4 yeah. miles down. It's two and a half miles under the water. So this thing goes out on Sunday. They, you know, it gets towed out there, or it's on the back of a ship. They drop it over the back with the people inside, and they go down, and... There's supposed to be an interruption in communication based on the depth that they go to. But the, the, the vessel's scheduled to resurface. It goes down around noon. It's scheduled to resurface around 6 o'clock. Right. It'll be down there for like six hours or whatever. Does not resurface. So about 25 minutes after its scheduled resurface time is missed, they call authorities. Now the U.S. Coast Guard's involved. They're still looking for this thing. They don't know where it is. So they have 96 hours of oxygen, according to the reports, less if the passengers start panicking, you know, breathe faster, use up all the oxygen. Oh, my God. From what I read, it costs 250 k per person to go on this sightseeing <laughs> expedition. There was also a lengthy waiver. There was a man uh, that was interviewed who boarded that submersible to view the Titanic wreckage last year. And he said, quote, you sign a massive waiver that lists one way after another that you could die on the trip. He said they mentioned death three times on page one. We were talking about this before the show, and I, you kind of run this through this. 250 grand to get, a, <coughs> to get in a bucket, a, a sealed – it has to be open from the outside in. It's like – Yeah, you can't open you it can't from the inside. You can't open it from the inside. So they're in this thing. It's like the size and, of a minivan, they say. Yeah, and – it's bolted shut with you in it, and you're getting dropped in the water. And two hundred fifty grand for the for the right to do this, privilege of doing this, go down to see a sunken ship that you could see in a movie. Now I'm looking. Now, and I told Brown, I don't know. There is no rich rich enough for me to blow two hundred fifty grand on that. Yeah, I'm with you. I there is no amount of money with a B or a T, <laughs> I wouldn't even be a trillionaire and spend my money on that, doing that, doing it. I would be more apt to go into outer space than I would be to go to the bottom of I'd the ocean. I'd be more apt 
to sit on your lawn chair? <laughs> I would be, yeah. <laughs> I would be more apt to go into outer space tied to balloons. Yeah. Than to go under the water in that. Yeah. And here's the other thing, and I'm not going to pretend to have done enough research on the actual submersible. I don't believe there are any. Is one end? Is there a. Here's the thing it doesn't seem as though there is any way to directly view anything that you are near underwater. Is there the, an end that's the open? The end that, that is has not glass? pointed has glass. So you yeah. can look out the back. Yeah, there's like. Yeah, the window is smaller ish. Yeah. So, yeah, and pl- so you have to take turns going out and, hey, check this out okay. kind of thing. But, you know, I don't know how many people are in the thing. Did it say? I was like, There are five total people counting the captain. So, 96 hours is five days. Right. right. So the search continues. Four days. Apparently, if and when an issue arises, there are seven ways, seven different ways to get the submersible to surface. And that has not happened yet. So there is grave concern that this is not going to have a good ending. So, And there is a local angle to this story as well, Steve, because they're using air patrols as well, you know, cover more of the ocean surface to see if it surfaced somewhere off course. Right, if it got caught by the current. Right. Yeah, okay. So they're using C-17s from the Buffalo Airport in the mission to find this tourist submersible. One of them is carrying a search submersible capable of diving to 6,000 meters. And it's made um, by Pelagic Research Services out of East Aurora. Uh, WIVB-TV is is, really? t- is reporting that. So that's kind of cool. East Aurora? Yeah. Pelagic, am I saying that right? Pelagic Research Services? I do not know. They've made this submersible Capable of diving 6,000 meters. So that's kind of that, cool it's, that there's a buffalo angle to this. Of course, we'd prefer there isn't any angle to a story of this nature. But um, I remember when I was working in the news department at WGR when they were news radio. And our one of our anchors said, there is always a buffalo connection. Right. Any major story you find, there is a buffalo connection. And it won't take long to find it. And here we are yeah. again. Yeah. That, it's... Uh, let alone the the coast the C17s that are flying yeah the uh the fact that the five i mean you just got to sit there and wait there it see and when the stuff goes wrong and obviously there's more than one thing that has gone wrong with this they can't communicate they can't surface right. they can't you know they can't get out of the thing they can't find the thing there's only like 20 things that we take for granted when we're walking around like can't somebody like do find their phone app you know kind of get over the top of it right something like that it's just it and for if if you're paying 250 grand to go on the thing there's four they're making a million bucks on this to go down there they wouldn't have some sort of homing beacon some sort of like buoy that yeah. like goes like a fail-safe sh- homing device you know like something so at least they could find it. Somebody did a story, a national news story, on this submersible, which has been around for a couple of years now. And they were talking about some of the components of the submersible. And the, the news correspondent asks the guy, well, how do you navigate the submersible? 
you know, with limited viewing, you know, well, we have cameras and everything. And, and what is the control panel to control this? They used a gaming system a gaming console. System. Yeah. You know, a hand. <laughs> it's just like playing the video games. Right. Except that it's real. <laughs> this takes spare batteries for that thing or. Yeah, right. I mean, seriously. Oh, we, got, we got a 12-pack of double A's over here. We'll be good. Something. Something. I, it's, uh, look, I hope this story has a good ending, but, man, that is tough. Oof. Tough stuff. So, we'll, uh, you know, we'll probably be hearing about this for the next couple of days, unless, you know, right. somehow they're miraculously found before then. But knowing the amount of oxygen they have left... It, they're going to have to continue with the effort, you know. Right. So hopefully uh, there's a good ending to that story. It was it's just fascinating to me that somebody's willing to spend that kind of money just to go that deep in the ocean to see something that's been sitting there over 100 years. I, un- right. I understand the fame and notoriety that surrounds the Titanic, but I don't need to see it that bad. Paying that kind of money, they're looking, they're looking through a porthole, It's basically. Uh, yeah. Two and a half miles down. That's too. Uh, it's, yeah. I don't like going more. <laughs> I don't like snorkeling uh, and going down. You know, you dive and you put your breathing tube underwater for a second to kind of get closer to a fish or something. I'm only going down like eight, ten feet. That's enough for me. Can't imagine being that far down. Yeah, no, that's. It's it is. It's obviously dangerous. We're. It's a. It's an industry. Deep diving is still an industry that's fraught with danger and yeah. I, I remember and I've, I've said we've had these conversations before remember when I was a kid and I'm of a vintage where I still remember when TV was just television it was three stations and that is it right and you know you watched whatever was on you didn't have you didn't have appointment viewing that's all you had was appointment viewing you just if you showed up it had to, you had to watch it when it was on all of that stuff was still there and one of the things when I was a kid that you had to watch was Jacques Cousteau, mm-hmm. a National Geographic special. It an, an entire generation and a half of kids were inspired. They were all all of us were going to be marine biologists when we grew up. We just there's nothing else that was as cool as that. Mm. Nothing else, even more than an astronaut. Oh, far and away beyond because okay. it was a national television, and they were do and they were all over the planet. All over the planet. And you just had to watch it. And even, and he's the guy that invented the aqualung, right? You could go down under the water right. and you could, you know, scuba gear. He invented that stuff. So it was awesome. And then we always think you couldn't, he, even, even Jacques Cousteau was like, it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Incredibly dangerous. He said that in a French accent. Though. Yes. Yes. They, it, I, it's, I don't know if we're ever going to get to the point where they can just, let's, you want to go down? Yeah, let's go. And just head down. It's not going to happen. And yet we try. Yeah. The final frontier. Well, not the final frontier, but yeah. Yeah. Outside of deep space, I guess. Yeah. Uh, let's go around the NFL, though. Presented by Kaleida Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills. And I'm sure many of you saw this over the weekend. Patriots cornerback Jack Jones arrested at Logan Airport after two handguns were found in his carry-on. His bail was set at 50000 
He was arraigned uh, this morning in an East Boston district court. He pled not guilty. He's due to be back in court August 18th. He could face more than 30 years in prison if he's found guilty and they line up the charges concurrently. So if he's found guilty and they line up all the charges he's facing, he's guilty of all of those, and they line them up concurrently, he's looking at over 30 years. I, now, I have a hard I, it, it was an idiot thing to do. Right. Getting on an airplane, in an air, I mean, who, for those of us who have traveled by air, what are you doing? Yeah, his attorney made a statement at his arraignment today saying, quote, he had no intention of bringing any guns into Logan Airport that day. He had no intention of bringing any guns onto an airplane that day. So they're well, going to they're going <laughs> to just say he took the wrong bag. Like, is that the case we're going with? Like, I don't know what else you can do if you're going to plead not guilty. What else can you say? <clears throat> Which he did. He pled not guilty this morning. He pled not guilty. Uh, yeah, I don't. What's he gonna say? Not my guns, not my bag. Like I, I don't. My bag how got do you, switched. You know, I, mom packed two handguns instead of my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I, I, I mean, what are we gonna say you, here? What, I thought it was a bus station. I thought it was a train station. I didn't know it was illegal to take a. I don't. Well, I, I mean, don't what think are you gonna try that what, one? What are you? What's he saying? Yeah, he's he's in some deep yogurt here. I don't know how he squares this one to get a. A jury to believe. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how that. No knowledge I don't know of how what was that is. Bag. I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I'll say this. You're right. It's you. Obviously, the guy made a mistake. Not only that he he can own the he can own those guns. This is America. He can own all the guns he wants. But you got to be totally out to lunch, thinking you're going to get through security with two yeah. guns in you. So obviously, it was a stupid mistake. What leads to that? I don't know. And I certainly don't think a guy, I, I don't, I, whether he's a patriot or not, whether he's a patriot, New England patriot or not, I don't think the guy deserves 30 years in prison for it. But goodness gracious. Well, part of the problem is one of the guns was loaded. And then they also found, like, for a handgun, the equivalent of an extended magazine right. cartridge. So... Bad enough, the gun's yeah, loaded. I'm, like it's, it just. I get all. It's of a that. bad look all the way around. But I think it's even worse when it's like, why does this guy have all this extra ammo? Like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? It's just, it's not a great, it's not a good look at all. You know, and in this day and age, we should all know that that's just that's not happening. Yeah, and I, I they, I guess, and I'm. I, I, they just catch it at security. What, he tried to put the thing through the x-ray machine? It was his carry-on. It's like, uh, yeah, we got a problem here. That's, yeah. I'll say this, though. And He's not the first NFL player to do it. There was a guy about 10, 12 years ago that did it. Bear, I can't Barry Switzer it did it. That's right. So I'm, they grow, guys, people grow up in different environments where they, certain things are acceptable and certain things are not. Certain things are weird to some people and certain things are, those same things are run of the mill for other people. It's just the way we are as Americans. We're so diverse that you know, there's different stuff going on in different neighborhoods around the country. And what, you, what one neighborhood likes, another one doesn't, yeah. and vice versa. So I get all of that. But it really looks bad when you're going in with a loaded weapon into an airport. An airport. Yeah. 
It's the just, one, I mean, the last, I mean, you can't, you can't live in this country and not have that. heard that yeah. and known it. Especially for someone who's flown before. Jack Jones has flown before. So you just, it's tone deaf. Really is. Uh, well, it's a, it's a, it's a real bad, it's a bad mistake. No question. But I'll say this too. Career. I mean, but listen, I don't know some of the airports you've been to. I happen to just even the Buffalo airport. I saw something like this. And in the in the airport that I traveled to, uh, where my mom, near where my mom and dad live, my mother and father live, they had a display. Some of them have physical display of here's the stuff we've taken out of people's luggage. And these this other place oh, that wow. I went to, they had pictures of everything they took. And I said, I said, are you serious, people? This stuff, all you. T-? He goes, and it it was a wall full of weapons. Oh boy, guns, knives, everything, lots of guns, knives. Like, all this stuff. They had a whole wall full of pictures of things they had taken out of people's carry-on. So, wow. apparently... Happens more than we'd like to know. People are more stupid <laughs> than we all want to admit. Yeah. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins' watch continues. He's biding his time regarding a landing spot for him for the 2023 season. Interesting word from national reporters... Like SI.com's Albert Breer, they claim he is hoping that one of the major contenders clears cap space to sign him to a respectable deal that he could accept. Now, one team, there is one team that does not have cap space at this moment, but could clear some soon, Steve. That is the Kansas City Chiefs. As we know, they're trying to get a long term contract extension done with perennial Pro Bowl defensive tackle Chris Jones who could get a contract that eclipses Aaron Donald's $31 million per year. But at the same time, it could clear up cap space for this season, depending on how they structure it. And the prevailing thought there is if they get it done prior to training camp, it could create the cap space necessary to present Hopkins with a deal he would find palatable so he could sign with the Chiefs. The Bills, as we know, Steve, just a short time ago, cleared a bunch of cap space recently when they signed Ed Oliver to a contract extension. They then used that cap space to sign defensive end Leonard Floyd. So the Chiefs could very well do the same thing with another defensive tackle and take an offensive player. What do you think about that prospect? How does that seem for the Chiefs? Yeah, does that seem plausible to you? Sure. I mean, if they want him, they can certainly go get him. They're an attractive destination, just like Buffalo is, just like Cincinnati is, and just like uh, the Niners are. Um, there's some teams around the NFL that have just a hair more enticements culturally and prospect-wise of what their season's going to do than others, you know? I mean, that's a hard sell for the Houston Texans. Right, I mean, if they want to convince him that they're a contender, another per, another team that could go to DeAndre Hopkins and say, "Hey, with you, we are a contender," and that would be somebody like the Cleveland Browns. Right, they've got the quarterback. They had kind of a, a wishy-washy year, and now you've got to think with a full off season that Deshaun Watson would show up and play a lot better than he did. They've done a lot of things to fill the holes in their roster, and they could convince, in my opinion. It wouldn't take that much to convince DeAndre Hopkins maybe he's that, finger quotes, missing piece that would put them into the playoffs. And that's exactly what the guy wants to do, right? So maybe Mm -hmm. the Browns, a a team like that, would be 
a destination for him that hasn't been mentioned. But I, I think at this point he's starting to realize that the he's going to take an enormous hit on that nineteen point four five million dollars salary. Oh, he's not salary. getting a sniff of that. He's going to well, exactly, and that's probably taking him some time to wrap his mind around yeah. it. I almost kind of wonder if his thinking has completely flipped. Like, hey, I'd like to play for a contender, but I do have to get the most money. But now these people that aren't going to be contenders aren't really offering me much more money than the contenders are. Right. You know, I might as well try to go win somewhere. I wonder if it's, you know what I mean, the whole There's perspective has flipped a little bit in the time he's been on the open market since his release. And I'll, I'll say this. I'm, if, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, uh, I, now, you know what, I'm just going to take, I'm going to go to a contender because the money's not going to be that much different. Or would it be now it changes to I'm going to tell everybody I want to go to a contender, but really where I want to go to is someplace that I'm going to get number one targets. Maximize my value for next offseason. Right. Yeah. Sign a one-year deal, and I want to, I want to get 100 targets. Yeah, that's conceivable, catch 78 too. balls for 1,200 yards and get it one more deal. Yeah, I, I could see that, too. There's a yeah. lot of ways this one could play out. be interesting to see. Right. When it happens and where it happens, and um, for how much? I'm, yeah, and I I think teams. I I think there's more to it. His age is a, certainly a factor. The fact that he doesn't play like he once did. He was a guy that lined up every down when he was young. I mean, the guy was there every year, every game, never missed. And now, in the last two or three years, as we've seen with everybody else in the league, it's hard for him to stay on the field. Now, last year. It was a suspension for PEDs. Before that, he did miss some time. But I think teams are like, ah. You know, he's, not, he's not a workout freak. He's not a practice freak. But he, you know, he's a good player. So, but we're not going to pay him premium money because we just can't, right. can't justify that risk. So we'll see where that goes and when it comes to a conclusion. Topic of discussion for you today as we get into the quiet period of the offseason in advance of training camp. There are a lot of offseason storylines just sitting out there. Some obviously have gotten more attention than others. So what Bill's offseason storyline do you believe deserves more attention than it's getting? Something, for example, like, Oh, my gosh, guys, nobody's paying attention to this. This is going to be big this fall. If there's something like that on your mind, let us know. 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Got an open phone line for you there. Or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet, as always, at One Bills Live. There are, the Bills are not short on storylines, for sure. Some have been blown up to high heaven. Others have kind of been under the radar and remain there. Which one do you want to bring out into the light to tell us, hey, not like Steve and I, we had a discussion on our podcast this past week, Bills by the Numbers, about how the Bills roster is more talented and deeper than they want the one they put on the field last year, and nobody's talking about it. We felt that deserved more attention than it was getting through the course of this offseason, particularly from the national media. So what Bill's offseason storyline deserves more attention as you see it? You let us know at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Do you have anything that 
rings into your head immediately when you hear that, Steve? Um, I would probably say the offensive line of the Bills. We talk about it a lot. Yeah. I know you and I are kind of sick of it, but I, when I go out and talk to people around, it's like they don't even know. And I've never heard that. Um, I'm, I, I just think, I mean, I, those guys, you watch these guys walk across the, it looks like a herd of elephants walking out there. I mean, they're, they're huge. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, and the, you see them move around and stuff. I mean, they just seem, <laughs> I mean, they're huge. You can't, it's like, it's like you, you see them walking around. It's like, Oh, what's that over there? Oh, that's the offense. That's a herd of elephants moving across the yard there. No, it's the, it's the offensive line. They're huge. They're tall and, and big. Um, I like I love that. I think that has so gotten enough. So you think the O line? Yeah, I don't think that's gotten enough attention. I think it's going to make terms a difference. Of how much better it's going to be? Yeah, I think it's going to be better, and I think they're going to be. And, and I get it too. I think in this day and age of the NFL, if they pass protect, nobody cares if they're, you know, six two, two eighty or six six three twenty. They pass protect. Everything's fine. I think this year more so than the other, you're going to see this team be able to push some people around up front. Okay, and I think they're going to be able to put some pressure on defenses that is going to f- that are going to force them to throw some heavy dudes at the box to try and slow that weight down. And you know, you go twelve personnel, and you get you know Dalton Kincaid on the field, and you know the defense has has got a problem. And if they decide they're going to treat Kincaid like we all think he should be treated, like with a safety or a corner, all of a sudden, you know, Josh is handing the football off and Cook or Harris. Or Murray are just going to push the pile, and all of a sudden it's second and four. You know, and that's it's a nice place to be. You do just about anything out of second and four, particularly when you hand it off to get there. Yep. And then it's first and ten after another handoff, and you're making a first down without ever dropping back. Teams panic defensively. Yep. Which Bills offseason storyline deserves more attention? 803-0550-188-550-2550, the number to get on board. Your phone calls coming up next. We've got to take a break here, but Mark in Jamestown, Bob and Chictawaga will lead us off here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you and asking you which Bills offseason storyline deserves more attention than it's gotten to this point. 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. We lead off with Mark in Jamestown. What do you got for us, Mark? Hello, offseason storyline. I've heard a lot of people talk about DeAndre Hopkins and – the bills having a, you know, not having a cap space for that. And then a few minutes ago, you guys were talking about probably going to the Kansas city chiefs. And, uh, my comment is really what I want to say is why are the chiefs allowed to keep that name when everybody else has to change their name in the, in all the sports, major sports leagues, they get to keep the chiefs. Are you are you talking like about are you talking about Native American and First Nation communities having an yes, issue with sir. that? Okay. Yes, sir. It's a good question. Um, it's probably because it was never considered a slur? derogatory slur. Yeah. Well, I just wondered. You know, I. Uh, 
Are you there, Roger Mark? Goodell's from down here in Jamestown. I just, you know, I would have thought he'd have thought about that because it it isn't fair that everybody else had to change their names when it has to do with the uh, Native Americans. Thanks a lot. Let you guys go over it. Okay. You bet. Thanks, Mark. Well, that's probably, Mark, it's, um, Chiefs was never a word that was used as an insult. All the uh, Most of the other ones were. Um, that's the difference. Yeah. That's how, I don't know pretty much where we have this. to leave it. I yeah. mean, there, I don't know that we can elaborate on it much more. I, I can't ever recall it being used in a negative, with a negative connotation or as a slur of any kind. Yeah. So that's probably why they haven't been prompted to make a change. Let's go to Bob in Cheektowaga next. What do you got for us, Bob? Hi, guys. I just want to say I think the biggest story that people don't realize is is, is Oliver. I think it was a great move only because we lose our middle linebacker. We're going to have, and then we pick up another linebacker from the Rams that can rush. You got Miller on the other side. I think the Oliver signing, I'm, at the end of the year, to me, he was playing good ball. I think he's going to have a great year. And to me, that's the biggest story. Okay, so, Bob, not just from a lockup Ed Oliver for the foreseeable future standpoint, but for the cap space it created to get Floyd as well. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think it's just great. I mean, look how quietly the Bills, all these other teams are making these moves, and they're like, you know, they're signing a couple big names and stuff, but the Bills are signing big names, but they're building around it. Look, their offensive line. uh, I I just love what they're doing, and I think the Oliver in the middle. I think our defense is going to be a big difference this year. Right. And it's going to help us win the Super Bowl. All right. Very good, Bob. Thanks. Good call there. I mean, I yeah, think that, that little move with the ripple effect of Leonard Floyd right. does seem big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, you weren't just locking up the youngest defensive tackle on your roster, who, oh, by the way, was also a top 10 draft choice. But you created cap space to make another move that helps your pass rush. I mean, unquestionably. Guy's got 29 and a half sacks in the last three seasons. So it was a twofold maneuver when you think about it, and it all comes out in the wash. And I know that Ed Oliver has his share of detractors amongst the Bills fan base because they want to see him be more consistently dominant. But I think when we had Daniel Jeremiah on the show, he probably, I thought he painted Ed Oliver, the player, better than anybody that I've talked to before because. He's, he may not be the quintessential defensive tackle that you want to have from a hard stats production standpoint, but he is a pretty darn good defensive tackle from a disruption perspective. He is always disrupting things in the pocket. He may not be the guy finishing the play, but a lot of times he's the guy flushing the quarterback to somebody else. Yeah. Um, tackles for loss in the run front, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, That's what he is, and I would tend to think the Bills aren't giving him this extension if they don't think he can become even more than that going forward at just 25 years of age. Yeah, I think his ability to penetrate and, you know, throw a wrench into what the offensive backfield wants to do on any given play has been under – is a little underrated, no question. Uh, We knew that when they drafted him. He's an undersized, explosive athlete who's really tough – and he's got a high motor. 
that's what he does. I mean, he plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Now, he, he doesn't get a lot of sacks, as we know, but he makes tackles, and he does cause a problem with his penetration. And he is a great disruptor. So I think the club knows that. I think that's what they're counting on. And they have continued to build around him and, and the other great players on the defense. And Ed gets a lot of reps. He gets a lot of reps. and they, So I think they trust him quite a bit, particularly on downs where, you know, they need somebody on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And when you look at the gigantic defensive tackle contracts that have been handed out this year to Deron Payne and the Giants DT, among others. You look at Ed Oliver's contract, it's pretty, it's pretty team friendly when you, when you weigh it all out. So good reason to uh, shine a light on that even more. So good one there um, by Bob and Cheek. Was it Bob and Cheek Tawaga? Yeah. It was uh, Bob and Cheek Tawaga. Yeah. Let's go to Jerry on a cell next. What do you got for us, Jerry? Hi, is this me? It is you, it is you. Jerry. Oh, okay, okay, because I said I was from Livonia, but okay. Yeah. I am on my cell phone. Uh, yes, yeah, so number one, I agree with you guys totally about the talent. I think this is the most talented team Sean and, and the Bills have had. Uh, and, uh, but number two, you're asking about a story that's out there. I don't know if any of you guys heard about the Pat McAfee story on – Friday, apparently, uh, he interviewed some guy by the name of Lombardi, uh, yeah. some sort of in, uh, and he mentioned about he talked about about Stefan, but really the the thing that caught my 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 eye was he was talking about Leslie Frazier, and you know we were understanding that Leslie Frazier was kind of just taking the year off to be with family and stuff, and but then we kind of see that he's around talking to other teams and stuff, so it's kind of like, what's going on? Well, this guy says that uh, during during the season. Sean McDermott would take away the uh, calls from uh, Frazier, and he would do the calls for the defense. And apparently that was the occurrence in the last 13 seconds. Now, I don't know if any of this is true, but I don't know if you guys have heard any of this stuff. And I was just wondering if you had and what you could tell me about if you had. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Um, I'll say this. I don't know if there's any way to definitively prove that Concerning the last 13 seconds specifically, I do know it was either in the 2017 or the 2018 season. It was 2017, first year. Coach McDermott did take um, a few series and call the defense. He felt a change in approach needed to be made by a different person. So he took play calling duties from Leslie Frazier, the very next week, Leslie Frazier was back to his play-calling responsibilities, and they had a lights-out performance on defense, which largely helped them win that game the very next week. And, and Sean, Sean McDermott gave, was effusive in his praise game, of Leslie Frazier. Gave him a game ball right after the game. Right. So it's not it, – it has happened, but I think to go back and be revisionist and definitive – I mean, unless you have definitive proof, I think it would be very hard to ascertain – and I'm not going to pretend to be looking. I was not looking at the sidelines at that moment in time, right, sitting way atop Arrowhead Stadium. Just I was more concerned with what was going on on the field in that moment. So I w- my eye was not over there. But I can, I can promise you this. There was definitely consultation during a timeout uh, when 
you know, after the touchback and then a timeout was called during that drive by the Chiefs to tie the game with the long field goal, I'm sure they all huddled up and consulted. But play calling or not, it didn't go right. Um, And so I understand people want to, you know, turn it into a bonfire. The bottom line is this. Leslie Frazier is no longer a member of the Bills coaching staff. Whatever the circumstances were, whether you want to speculate and believe something else or take the Bills at their word, that's up to you. You're entitled to do whatever you want. Um, The bottom line for me is you're going to have a new person calling the defense. It's the head coach. And, you know, Leslie Frazier did a tremendous job when he was here. He had the number one defense in the league in 2021. He's had a number of top five finishes. His credentials go without saying. Whoever made the ultimate decision, the two parties decided to part ways, and the defense is going to get called differently because you're going to have a different person calling it. Yeah, and I would I would say this too. Certainly, it's never optimal when your defensive coordinator steps away for a year. This is the last year of his contract already. So, the fact that he wants to, that he took some time away, or that the team, or he, or Sean, or whoever handled it the way they have. Um, yeah, it, it does make some people raise their eyebrows. He's stepping away, and now he's thinking about getting back into it already again, talking to teams and making himself available. Um, well, when he did step away, it was said by the Bills that he would like to be a head coach someday. Sure. Still. And maybe that, this may be his best opportunity to do it and uh, is and the, way, the best path for him to take it. I don't know how that works, but it does make you think that him being the defensive coordinator of the Bills was not his best option this year. Um, it does make you say, well, I wonder how that conversation went. Um, I get it. Whenever something doesn't add up or whatever, people are going to, you know, conjecture. But we don't know. All we know is it seems that Sean and Leslie have a good relationship, have had in the past, and Leslie's taking a year off. I mean, I – you never. I don't know if you're ever going to get a straight answer from either one of them about how that conversation went, but I understand the questions. Yeah. Break time for us here, but when we come back, more of your phone calls. So stay right where you are. If you're holding at 803-0550, we'll do our best to get to you in the next segment here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Right back to the phones here on One Bills Live and to Mark in West Seneca. What do we got for us, Mark? Hi, Al. I uh, heard Steve mention about the offensive line, and I know that you guys have been talking about it a lot. And We're wondering what the beginning of the season is going to be, 2023. What will will the offensive line look like? Um, But I'm wondering specifically about whether Spencer Brown is going to grade out high enough throughout the camp and preseason to retain his starting position. I think it's pretty fair to say he had his struggles last year and some of the replays of the games look a little dicey and uh, gave Josh Allen maybe a little more problems than he should have had. And I'm just wondering what you guys think about uh, Spencer and, and, and his ability to keep his job. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. We were talking to as well. Uh, you know, they they 
They signed the two guards and David Edwards and, of course, Connor McGovern, and then they drafted Osiris Torrance. We talked a lot about the interior of the offensive line. Uh, we've, you know, that somebody, you know, Bates, uh, ostensibly, it seems like he's going to be the one to back up uh, uh, Mitch Moore. So, at least we think. I, we haven't seen it, but uh, anything rotationally-wise. Uh, but Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins, really there was nobody there that was going to come in, we felt, and automatically be – competing for their jobs. Um, Kessenberry's back. He was there last year. Brandon Shell is the guy that could compete with him. I Brandon Shell. You've got guys like uh, that you may not have heard of. Kevin Jarvis, Greg Mance. Those are interior guys. And but Richard yeah. Coriage. Um, Brandon Shell was signed late, and we thought, wow, that was really telling. But in the interim, we thought because they hadn't brought any like new guys in to compete – we felt, and I still kind of feel this way, we feel they've got more faith in Spencer Brown. And Deion Dawkins, nobody's even squawking about that, so I'm just going to direct my marks towards Spencer, my remarks. We felt like it was a, a real vote of confidence for Spencer Brown because we had, we had heard that he – we knew that he had back surgery last offseason. Well, he missed and almost all the training camp. Out of the, out of the saddle, competitively speaking, for most – of the offseason, if not every single bit of the offseason last year. He comes back in, and it was a slow ramp-up during training camp. He got a high ankle sprain. So there was one thing after another for Spencer Brown. So as he, you know, he just didn't, to me, he just wasn't 100% very much of the time last year. And I, and for me, I thought that the way they handled the tackle rotation or the tackle depth in the offseason was a sign towards they thought he was going to be much better because they didn't bring anybody in. Now, of course, as we, we tell, say this, Brandon Shell got signed, 6'5", 324. He's an eight-year guy. 72 career starts. Maybe now they're saying, okay, we're going to bring a guy in. We'll see it. Maybe they've seen some something in the last few weeks that say, well, maybe we should bring some competition in. Don't I mean, know. At the very least, he's going to push Spencer based on his – pedigree he's got 72 nfl starts under his belt over his career and most of them have been at right tackle so he's going to be pushing spencer and david questenberry who was the swing tackle last year right. so even if he doesn't unseat spencer brown he's gonna be breathing down david questenberry's neck to be the swing tackle i'll give you a quick list of all the guys they have listed just at offensive tackle outside of spencer brown and Deion dawkins it starts with alec anderson tommy doyle Ryan Vandermark, David Kessenberry, and of course, as we said, Brandon Shell. Um, there's a lot of guys in that in that room. And Tommy Doyle hasn't even been mentioned, who's coming back from knee injury and should be ready for training camp. Tommy Doyle, and they may have high hopes for him. Um, we'll see. But I would agree uh, with Mark from West Seneca. It's something to keep your eye on because yep. the depth. I mean, this Brandon Shell wasn't signed until a few weeks ago. And up until that point, it looked like they were going to be pretty happy with Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins going at it. From one mark in West Seneca to another mark in West Seneca. What do you have for us, mark number two? Oh, I just want to say he's an impersonator. I'm the real guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I, I bring this up all the time with you guys, and I'm probably going to nauseate you this until the season starts. My my biggest thing lo looking at for the season, the talent is the talent, and it's good enough to win the Super Bowl. It's going to be our OC and DCs, what they're going to do with the talent that they have. 
Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Sean does with the defense, and he might have some other options that they've never had before, as in a third safety and playing him in certain situations, things of that nature. But for me, more importantly, it's going to be Dorsey. Um, I- I've said it before. I-, I don't believe he used the personnel very well last year. There were times, there was like six, seven games in a row where uh, Dawson Knox was not part of the game plan, just totally disappeared. We had a couple times when a whole hats went by, Diggs didn't get the ball. Uh, How is he going to use Davis? Is he going to put him in better situations and run a fuller route tree, or are we going to continue to use him as a clearing guy and deep ball threat and a sideline threat? Uh, we need to get him more involved all over the field. Speaking of the field, how are we going to attack the middle of the field? Because we didn't do it at all, if you ask me, last year. And are we going to do it with more than just Dalton Kincaid? Because I think we should. Putting it on one guy doesn't typically work. Um, and how are we going to involve Hardy and Sherfield? I mean, our slot went away last year, and everybody says McKenzie fell short. But watching the games, it didn't seem like anybody in the slot was ever a part of the game plan. And what did McKenzie not do last year uh, that he uh, did do in previous years that kept him on the roster? It just didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And there were specific plays, as in the jet sweeps, that they never ran that was a bread and butter with McKenzie. So I think there's a lot uh, on, uh, on Dorsey's plate. Uh, I'm not saying he can't do it, um, and, and I, from what I hear, he's a really smart guy, and I guess he's working really hard. But I think we got to make a lot of changes with our attack of, of how we attack defenses next year. So thanks for that, guys. Appreciate all right. it. All right, Mark, I'll, I'll start real quick. I, I disagree with you. I know I understand a lot of what you said, no question. There were times last year when it looked like a really heavy lift, but you know the team finished the season – with a seven-game winning streak, and you, you take the Cincinnati game that was canceled, you take that out of it, uh, and the two games right before that where they lost that you know two-game losing streak, they lost by three to the Jets, and then the debacle that was the Minnesota col- collapse uh, that they got them to overtime and won it. Um, there wasn't much wrong with this offense last year. Um, I, I would say the place where I disagree with you is that we got to make some big – I don't – no, I disagree. You don't make huge changes to an offense that was number two in the league in scoring and best team on third down conversion. I mean, uh, Ken Dorsey took over for Brian Dable and surpassed his numbers. Yeah, so in a lot of categories. In a lot of categories. Um, and you can – so if you're going to say the talent's there, not other, you got you got to give, give them some credit where it's due. This offense was smoking hot last year, and it looked like a heavy lift at times, no question. But I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not an advocate for great change at all. I'll just say quickly, because you were asked about the slot position, because the middle of the field was a sorely absent part of their offense. I think it's Kincaid, and then I think it's Sherfield and Hardy. It wouldn't shock me if those two are splitting the slot receiver role and used in different weeks against different opponents for different matchups. And Kincaid is working the middle of the field as well. I think they have multiple options there for good reason, because when they tried to go with just one last year or two in Crowder and McKenzie, one got hurt and the other was ineffective, missing the other one. So I think they're going with multiple, they're throwing numbers at that position now 
in the hopes that even if they maybe lose one to injury or some other circumstance, they still have answers to work the middle of the field. we got to take a break here because in hour number two, we're going to be joined by NFL.com lead draft writer and analyst Eric Edholm, who has some overblown and under-the-radar storylines league-wide to present us with. We'll talk to him next here on One Bills Live. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Happy to be joined now by the lead draft writer and analyst for NFL.com. It is one Eric Edholm joining us on the show here. Eric, good to have you. Your summer going all right so Thanks. far? Going, going well. we got some yard work going on outside. Hope you guys can't hear too much of that, but doing well otherwise. Yeah, we good. appreciate it. Yeah, we, we saw the article that you wrote. Um, really fun because we – you know, we talk about the NFL all day live on the air for a couple hours. We get callers, and there's always something to talk about. And you did a nice job right. of kind of sifting through the entire league and coming up with some storylines that were a little bit like, come on, what are we talking about here? And some of them that are like, hey, everybody should be talking about this. And both ends of that spectrum is kind of a nice, a nice way to look at it. And the one you started out with, I guess we could, this is always a topic of conversation. That's quarterback battles around the NFL, particularly yeah. at this time of year. Camp's about to start. A lot of questions that have to be answered. A lot of new faces that are showing up at these teams with maybe a guy there who we, who we, whose name we can recognize. What are your thoughts about some of the quarterback battles around the league where there isn't a Hall of Fame caliber or elite quarterback taking snaps? Yeah, I think this year's quarterback battles, we actually have quite a few of them this year. We have several teams whose starter has not yet been identified, maybe even a couple more beyond that where there's at least a sliver of a doubt. But I don't know that the battles are going to be all that exciting, thrilling, you know, down to the final preseason game or anything like that. Or, you know, we go into week one not knowing who's going to play on Sunday. I mean, eventually Bryce Young's going to play in Houston, right? C.J. Stroud is going to play. I'm sorry, C.J. Stroud in Houston, Bryce Young in Carolina. At some point, Anthony Richards going to win that job. I guess there's some intrigue in Tampa Bay replacing Tom Brady. What's going to happen there? Is it Kyle Trask? They drafted a few years ago, Baker Mayfield. You know, there's some interest there. Obviously, both guys have a little bit of name value from college football and have, have you know, in Mayfield's case, done some work in the league. But I can't get all excited about, about what's going on in Washington. Sam Howell, Jacoby Brissett. You know, I, I don't know that that. Tennessee is really up for grabs right now. I think Ryan Tannehill's pretty firmly set there. So we're going to talk a lot about these battles. I just don't know that it's ultimately going to be all that dramatic, even if there is some curiosity when these guys finally do play. And one that didn't make that list, but still major list of overblown stories is Mac Jones in New England. And we all know just because we kind of keep our ear to the ground on the AFC East that, you know, <laughs> Belichick wasn't effusive in his praise of Mac Jones earlier in the off season. But I think Bill O'Brien's influence here is going to count for something, although I commend you for the uh, three-sentence phrase, zappy-led mutiny, um, when you were <laughs> speculating about what could happen. But I, right. this is Mac Jones' job. This is his team. And I think they're expecting a revival of sorts 
under Bill O'Brien, who, from what we've heard, has even put in some elements of the Alabama offense into the, into the playbook. And who taught him that offense when he came over as OC? It was Mac Jones. Mac Jones is the first guy to sit down with with uh, Bill O'Brien and say, "Here's what we do." And Mac was getting ready for the for the draft at that point. So there is a little bit of crossover there. And by me putting it in the in the overblown category, what I'm not saying is, "Oh, Mac Jones is going to be fine and he's going to be you know even better than he was the rookie last year." It was an aberration, right? You can chalk it all up to Matt Patricia. I'm not going that direction. I don't think we know yet what Mac Jones is or if we think there's even a higher ceiling at all beyond what we saw uh, out of him as a rookie. So what I am saying is that I don't know that Zappi has a realistic chance to overtake him. I think there are people in that building who may want to see what Zappi could do. He was the one guy who kind of gave him a spark offensively at that position last year. But, you know, the total results, when you look at him as a whole, step back a little bit, they weren't that much better, or even I think you'd say pretty comparable. So I think Jones gets every opportunity to keep this job, even if Bill was a little frosty at, at points last year and even earlier this offseason when asked about Mac. And, you know, look, they don't have to be best friends. Mac just has to get the ball to the to the playmakers and, and make it work and, you know, not turn the ball over. That's a, that's a Bill Belichick staple. How much of this stuff in New England is about Mac Jones and how much of it is about the fact that he's just not Tom Brady? That's a great question. I, you know, I, I felt like, you know, Cam Newton, when he went there, you know, first of all, it was a pandemic season and, you know, he's replacing Tom and it was, it was such an awkward deal that entire year. It hasn't really been anything but awkward since then, really. But, um, you know, there's always going to be that specter of Brady, right? And he's going to be back in week one this year to be honored at, at Foxborough when the Eagles are in town. And, uh, you know, Tom's obviously a legendary figure who will probably be never surpassed in Patriots history as far as accomplishments at quarterback. But, uh, you know, you have to have somebody. I think they thought Mac had the toughness replacing Tua Tonga-Vailoa at Alabama and the great run of quarterbacks they had there, playing in the spotlight, winning a national championship. I think they felt like this guy is uniquely prepared with connections to the program through Nick Saban uh, for anybody to replace him. Has it happened yet? It hasn't. And that's the question. Can he do? He may have mental toughness. I don't know, but we haven't seen the 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 physical play match up what you would expect out of the 15th pick in the draft. All right. So here in Buffalo last year, we experienced what life is like when you change a coordinator with Brian Dable getting the head coaching job with the Giants and Ken Dorsey stepping in for him. We're going to experience it to a degree again this year with Sean McDermott now calling the plays on defense. The Eagles are doing that on both sides of the ball in the same off season, but you're not, you're not all, you don't sound all that concerned, Eric. And I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not debating the credentials uh, of the guys that are the replacements, you know, Johnson sure. and Desai, um, especially since Sirianni is doing a lot of the play calling anyway on the offensive side of the ball. But talk to me about this defensive transition to Desai and what, I mean, is there, are we just expecting this is going to be, smooth like butter or I mean there are always little hiccups here and there sometimes sure absolutely I'm not saying that replacing two coordinators is is some easy chore and that you know every team that's ever had that chance just passes with flying colors of course not what I am saying is that this is probably top to bottom arguably one of the top two or three rosters in the NFL and I think especially defensively with the kind of waves of talent they have up front you know even on the second line the secondary as well 
but definitely that pass rush that helps make things pretty smooth right there. If you have a pass rush, it makes the defensive play calling a lot easier, right? You can rush four, even rush three in some situations. Um, you know, you can uh, selectively throw in a blitz and really throw them off. I think it just makes their their job so much easier with all the quality uh, defensive line talent. Sean Desai is a well-regarded coach. I got to know him a little bit here in Chicago, not all that well, but uh, when he was an assistant here and um, within the building and the Bears organization, there was a lot of, uh, you know, appreciation for his talent, his ability to see things happen. But to your point, I mean, look, just because a guy is a talented defensive or offensive mind doesn't mean they're going to know exactly what to do with these these players. However, I think the quality of the roster, plus what they added in the draft with Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, et cetera, et cetera, is going to overcome a lot of the big worries. Plus, you know, there were some people calling for Jonathan Gannon's head prior to last season. So it, it's not as if he did, you know, it was, he was coming in with these amazing credentials and, and, and left with a, with a cape on his shoulders. No, there were still people questioning him even in a, in a, a run all the way to the Super Bowl. What is the biggest challenge? I mean, the, the Eagles, I mean, they're NFC East. You'd think Dallas is going to have something to say about it. Perhaps maybe not Washington, uh, but certainly Philly sitting there with the Giants and Dallas, you know, in the division. What is the biggest challenge to the NFC champions? Yeah, all four teams have good defenses at the least. I mean, right, you can, you can cast doubt on Washington and that quarterback situation, but there are good receivers and good uh, defense in that team. Ron Rivera's on the hot seat. You're going to you know he's coaching for his job. So really, there's not a, an easy out in the division. I think Dallas is absolutely maybe on the bottom end, but in that group of teams, you could possibly see winning a Super Bowl. It, look, I know people roll their eyes. Oh, it's the Cowboys. But no, really. I mean, I think if Dak cuts down on his turnovers, Tony Pollard has the kind of year we think he can. We know defensively they're very good. Um, and, and the Giants, too. I don't think they're going anywhere. They added Darren Waller. They have uh, Barkley back. You know, Daniel Jones has signed long-term. They've added help at receiver. You guys mentioned, I mean, a lot of familiar faces from Buffalo. They brought the, the successful elements from that team down to New York, and, and it really worked really well in year one, and I don't think they're going to suddenly fall back to the pack. So I think you're right. It's within the division. Sure, worry about San Francisco and the other NFC contenders down the road, but – you know, I mean, they have a they have a, a, a tough uh, divisional slate this year, and every team is going to be a battle. One of the things you also said that was overblown was the fact that the Cowboys are going to Mike McCarthy as their play caller. Um, you know, Kellen Moore's on the road, took a le- left, and now McCarthy's going to take it over. And you think, well, oh, it's it's a it's something, but it's really not all they're making it out to be. Certainly, everything's a little bit dramatized when it's the Cowboys, but Mike McCarthy's up to this, right? I think so. Yeah. And and there are definitely naysayers out there who say Mike is old school. Mike will never change his ways. He's going to do the same kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, isolation routes and, and man beaters that he's always done. And it's going to be the Green Bay offense over again. I, look, I, I really think that there was a, a it was a tricky situation there with Moore, and they could never really kind of figure out what kind of team they wanted to be. And offensively, they struggled. Defense was not the problem last year it was really putting the ball in the end zone. Um, and, you know, I just felt like at some point Mike was going to rest that back and, and, and do what he's always done, which is call plays. He, he seated that control. Now he's got it back. It's a story in Dallas. No question about it. But they're, like you said, with the Cowboys, <laughs> there's always something to talk about. And I do feel like that it's going to be a little bit overblown. I think hopefully he's smart about this and incorporates uh, elements of what they did last year with also the kind of 
you know, West Coast system that he's been steeped in. And if he does and Dak plays up to the potential, you know, he's shown up until probably the last eight games last year, it could be a very successful thing. On the uh, under the radar side, you've got Kyler Murray, who obviously we know is coming off an ACL. Very good chance he's not going to be ready at the start of the season. Be very interesting if he gets put on something like reserve PUP. I mean, they're then right. they're just chalking up the first six games is not even a question. Um, I want to take it a step further. This team is in complete teardown mode. Kyler Murray, does he want to be around for all of that? I mean, as soon as he's healthy, when does he start chirping and saying, I'm not here for this rebuilding project. We're not going to be good until I'm almost 29. Yeah. I mean, so much has changed in a year, right? He signed the extension less than a year ago, a massive deal. I mean, this is something that, you know, that he wanted, that he pushed for, uh, you know, the team wanted to keep a, a star quarterback. I use the air quotes with that, but uh, you know, a, a a quarterback that they brought up and drafted immediately after missing on Josh Rosen. So there was a little bit of pressure. Like you can't miss again on this guy. Uh, and he'd shown great flashes, but last season was a disaster. And the injury obviously compounding things. We don't know where his status is now. You mentioned that he could start the year on the pup list for all we know. Um, there's no future quarterback on the roster, but they have plenty of ammunition to get it next year if they want. And if, if it's the quarterback class that everybody kind of thinks it might be in the draft, look, they've got Texans pick and they've got their own pick. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to either move up or stay, stay in pat and take one if they want. The problem is that contract and his health and, and how many other teams might consider possibly trading for him. There's dead money issues. Um, there's the team that takes them on has to be able to afford them. Uh, you know, I'm not saying this is a, you know, a, a fait accompli that he's definitely going to be a traded. He can prove this season that he belongs, but it's not going to be with a full cast of players this year. It is going to be a stripped down roster, a lot of young guys. And, you know, it's hard not to speculate about where he might be playing in 2024 at this point. One of the other topics that you said might be a little bit under um under attention got grabbing. I don't know what how do you call it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, underblown is the fact that Cleveland has quietly started to build in a way that resembles a good football team, right? Uh, <laughs> they started to put, they fill some holes on their roster. I love and, the way you put that, Steve. <laughs> and so, but Green Bay with Deshaun Watson, and then I, we were having this conversation earlier in the show. To me, Cleveland would be a sneaky, dangerous place for DeAndre Hopkins to land when this is all said and done, you know, because that would kind of put them a little bit more on the radar. But right now, Cleveland laying in the weeds – uh, you got to think that Deshaun Watson's going to put together a better year than he did a year ago. But Cleveland really seems to be sneakily gaining ground on the AFC North. And, and it is a tough division, no doubt about it. And it's not like Watson really gave us a whole lot of, you know, proof that he's going to be able to do that this season. We really didn't see much out of him last year that was quality. I mean, those those six games that he started, you know, felt like, kind of a, a slow start, a preseason kind of ramp up to the year. This was not what you'd expect out of a guy who played brilliantly at times for the Texans, especially in that four and 12 season. I mean, he was really, really good. And I don't think people appreciate it enough prior to everything going down in Houston and his eventual exit there. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think this Browns team, if he makes even, you know, incremental improvements, gets somewhere close to the quarterback we saw in Houston, you start looking at the real savvy offseason moves they made, made targeted moves 
not the big money kind of splashes like John Johnson and the free agents they've had in the past, you know, Jadeveon Clowney came bringing him back and things like that. They've gone away from that route. And, you know, I think with the full off season, the pressure off Watson, as far as all the off the field stuff, uh, the, the talk about the contract being put to the side, perhaps a little bit, you, you look, and I think they've upgraded their defensive tackle spot. I think they've upgraded at other spots on defense, added more weaponry at receiver, I think you're going to see a team that even with, you know, Pittsburgh and Baltimore is going to be back. And obviously we know, you know, that that's going to be as tough a division, I think, as there is to play. And I would be shocked if the Browns aren't competitive this year. I think they're going to be a good football team that, that outplays expectations. Last one I've got for you, Eric, let, let's kind of put the bills under the microscope in, in this mm-hmm. exercise, maybe give us one that you think is a little overblown concerning the Bills and something that might be under the radar that people should keep a closer eye on going into training camp. Yeah, let me. that's a good one. Let me think. Let's see overblown. Um, you know, maybe tr- replacing tr- Tremaine Edmonds, I would say, is maybe a little bit overblown. I mean, obviously, you, uh, you know, anytime a, a premier free agent or whatever you want to say leaves the team and you've got to avoid, especially in the middle of the defense, even if – you know, middle linebacker isn't quite the all-encompassing position it once was. You know, Terrell Bard was a, a Bernard was a, a highly regarded player that I think will will take the opportunity and run with it if he you know if he gets that chance to start. Um, you know, we'll have to see obviously what whether Dorian Williams is going to be in the mix at, at that Mike spot or not, and you know, does Milano's role change at all? So there's some things to figure out. Is AJ Klein still in the mix, et cetera, et cetera? But to me, that one's a little a uh, little more overblown, even with you know, Leslie not there. And, and like you said, the coaching situation, that's a little bit different with calling plays. And and I would say for underappreciated, I might just say, Hey, has the offense figured out some of those late season issues? I mean, that was, that was a legit storyline. It wasn't something we made up. I mean, it was, it was clear that if Josh and Stefan were not connecting and making it work consistently, there were some, some questions about who else could shoulder the load. You've got, changing faces in the backfield. Um, you know, obviously you, you're hoping that that somebody can step up at receiver and give a little bit more depth and variety. And you've got the fascinating tight end situation with Kincaid and, and Knox now. So theoretically, there are some upgrades. Maybe the line is a little bit more settled. Uh, and some of these issues kind of melt away and, and are forgotten about. But I don't think we could just brush them off and say that there wasn't something happening that was preventing this team from its full you know, capability last year at the end of the year. Eric, thanks, man. That's great stuff. We appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. All right. Have a great day, you guys. All right. That's NFL.com lead draft writer, Eric Edholm. And uh, if you want to check out his uh, story, it's about things uh, on the NFL storyline landscape that, in his estimation, are overblown heading into the 2023 season and some that are under the radar and underappreciated. We're kind of taking a, a page out of that book with – our topic of discussion for you today, which is which Bills offseason storyline do you think deserves more attention and why? We go to some people that are waiting patiently. Mike, just south of the state line in PA in Waynesport. What do you got for us, Mike? Guys, how are you? Can Good. you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I just want to first say, you guys, if you ever get the opportunity to go on vacation, come down to Waynesport, Pennsylvania for the Little League World Series. You'll love it. Okay. Bring your family. Um, it's nationally televised. But I've what I want to talk about, about is uh, I think uh, I feel like what the fans and the media are saying about 
we're saying about Stefan Diggs, about him being a cancer and all that is really unfair because Josh Allen loves him. His teammates love him. He's a gamer and he, he can put it on the field. And for some of the people to just doubt him is just wrong. In my opinion. Okay. That's fair, Mike. And thanks for the call. And, yeah, you're right next to Williamsport, yeah. I guess, down there where the Little League World Series is. You're you're right, Mike. Um, it's it's what we do on social media these days and in, in, and in the mainstream media as well is we uh, speculate. We have opinions. Uh, sometimes the opinions are uninformed, um, ignorant. Some of them are, are grounded in – the wrong plot place or taking certain assumptions that are inaccurate, whatever you, however you get there, that's what we do. We talk about stuff. And when somebody makes inspire somebody to think of something else, they chime in and then you get further and further away from the truth and further, further down speculation. And, you know, and it becomes ridiculous pretty fast. Uh, it's just the way media is. Um, Brownie and I are as probably as guilty of it at times as everybody else. Certainly, if you're going to go on social media, it's kind of what you sign up for. Um, the players, this generation of players I have noticed, are much more calloused to what is said about them in the media, in any media, even social media, than players were in my day. We, we were really sensitive to that stuff. If there was something going on, you had to, because was, there wasn't that many outlets. So if anybody was talking about you, most of the information that was public came from that. So you really had to be aware of it. Um, guys today seem to me to be much more callous and understanding. It's kind of what you sign up for. Most of it's going to be drivel and ridiculous, and it's best not to get involved in it. That's way different than it was in my day. Yeah. And, you know, Steph Diggs, Josh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, people speculate constantly about their lives, personal lives, on the field, off the field. And most of it is just not true and completely speculatory. So, yeah, for people to start making taking pot shots at Steph Digg over what happened last week, I've thought a lot about it. And you're right. it's Most of it's out of line and, and lunacy to even go down that road. But we do because we love the team. We love the guys. We want to talk about them, and, and it's something we can all talk about together. So that's kind of where it goes. It's kind of – it's the world we live in, right or wrong. Uh, we kind of, we're kind of stuck there right now, I think. Yeah, and just as a matter of practice, when, when we don't have all the information because we're not behind closed doors, more often than not, the choice I make is to listen very carefully to the people who are closest to that situation, especially his teammates, which is why when Von Miller said it's not that serious five times in a press conference and Josh Allen said uh, we expect it to be resolved in short order, I didn't get overly concerned. And some might call me naive to take players at their word, but those are two guys that for the most part, are pretty self-effacing and give it to you straight more often than not. And so that's why I didn't get bent out of shape by everything either. We have to take a break here, though. More of your phone calls when we return. Mark in Jersey City, Bob in Rochester will lead us off. 
But we do have open lines for you at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, which Bill's offseason storyline deserves more attention. I've got a couple of thoughts on that when we return as well. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, here we are asking which Bills offseason storyline deserves more attention and why. Back to the phones and to Mark in Jersey City. What do you got, Mark? Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm going to uh, piggyback on a point each of you make, one in your own way, and then tie it into how this team has been talked about You know, pretty much all offseason since the Cincinnati game. Um, the ascension of Cook into the number one role, uh, Chris, you like to point out that that's going to be huge. The running back room, I think, is not that it is. I can't believe how much better it is with and the the Harris acquisition. Where you like to say it's just the work that guy's going to do in between the tackles and the red zone. I think that's what's going to pay dividends and Cook getting 30, 50 more touches. What was his rate of like twenty yard plays? It was like was it second highest in the league and he didn't even have a hundred carries. He yeah. was the highest explosive interior, run rate in the league. Yeah. Highest explosive run rate in the league. And then the interior offensive line, you pair those two things together. Like Steve likes to mention, I think it's going to be a recipe for that's where the offense aside from the Dalton Kincaid acquisition. And then the way this team has been talked about as of late, it's, they're an also ran again. Like they, they may as well not have won 13 games. They may as well have not watched one of their teammates basically expire on the field. That's they're just, they're just kind of dead in the water. And I think people have just reverted back to the 17 years. I think like you like to say, Chris, there's a lot of fake fans, a lot of bandwagoners who jumped on while the gravy train was moving. And now it's kind of, you know, been talked about like it's halted. And then the media, you know, better for business. I mean, look at the call bank when the team loses as opposed to when it wins. It's just that type of stuff is just better for business. I remember one time I heard a guy here in New York media say, um, I'm not what's best for such and such team. I'm best for what's conversation. I'm for what's best for conversation. And that always resonated with me. Thanks yeah. for having my call, guys. Yeah, sure thing. Mark. Thanks, no Mark. Nice call. Yeah, I mean, I think Steve and I have said enough through the course of the offseason here about why we think the offense is not only going to be more talented but more diverse. And you can go up and down the list of the talent that they added at the skilled positions. But as Steve has pointed out several times, the investment of the interior of the offensive line might be the most consistent investment they have made through the course of the offseason. They did it with big money with Connor McGovern. They did it on a budget with David Edwards, and they did it with a high draft choice in Osiris Torrance, all for one position, chiefly, guard. Um, And I think it's to provide better integrity of the pocket so Josh Allen can step up instead of having to run out to the right all the time and make things on the run. I think it's going to give him more opportunities to step up in the pocket and deliver the football, chiefly over the middle of the field. And I think the talent that they've accumulated – for the slot position specifically, you now have Shakir, Sherfield, and Hardy who could share that role willingly. And, you know, depending on the matchup you like best in a given week against a given opponent, maybe one week Sherfield's getting 65 snaps and, you know, Hardy's getting 15. And maybe the next week Shakir's getting 65 snaps, Sherfield's getting 20, and Hardy is just doing returns. 
You know, it, it couldn't materialize that way from week to week because of the depth of talent you have there. And then you have Kincaid on the other side, who by all accounts is on the fast track and is going to diversify this passing game in the middle of the field, which was a sorely absent component of it in the first year that it didn't have Cole Beasley until the latter stages of the season. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, I'm with him. Um, the diversity of the offense. Um, and I know that people have been going on and on. And even even um, Eric Edholm in the last segment, you know, he said, listen, there, there were some real problems with this team last year. And I don't know. Um, certainly there were teams that were starting to do some things d- defensively. And I think there's no question Steph was frustrated in that last game against Cincinnati. Um, they're winning game. They were winning games last year. Well, a lot. Uh, they won a ton of games last year. I would anticipate they're going to be just as tough to beat this year. Uh, that obviously cures a lot of problems. And if you're trying to improve, like the Bills constantly are, I mean, Sean, it's his mantra. You got to have a growth mindset. If that permeates the entire roster and coaching staff and front office, as we have seen it, have witnessed, you're going to start having some friction. You can't have, you can't have growth without it hurting and without some guys raising their voice and getting into some heated conversation. You've got a bunch of grown men in a locker room who are trying to get better, and they're doing some things that, is really, that are really important to them, each of them individually. They're doing something they think is really meaningful. They're living a dream, and they're responsible for the outcome and feel a sense of responsibility due to the, out, to the outcome. That causes some disagreements. It causes some deep beliefs to get stretched and tested. That causes some friction. And, you, and it happens all the time, although, you know, we don't, we're not necessarily privy to it. It doesn't pop out, boil over on the sidelines, or, you know, we don't hear about it too much. But we can see it. I mean, you can, you can sense some of the Leslie Frazier year off as being some of that. You can, you can sense some of the Brian Dayball, you know, exiting as to be some of that. You can sense Steph Diggs, his behavior at, time and at different times to be some of that. You can sense a lot of things uh, with this team and, other, and a ton of other teams around the league who are trying to get better, who are putting the pressure on themselves to do it. And it causes these guys to, you know, Push hard against everything and everybody. Let's go. And I think, you know, when you get into a season like you did last year where, you man, it's full speed ahead all the way go, and it doesn't end the way you want it to, yeah, it's going to be bitterly disappointing. You're going to have guys that are just mad and angry. So you're going to see some results of that coming into this season, and it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. It hurts to grow. It really it that's what's going to happen. And we have seen signs of that growth this off season. And I'm I would imagine we may see some more signs of it in the coming weeks. Possible. You never know. Let's get to the phones to a guy that's been waiting patiently, Bob in Rochester. What do you got, Bob? Uh, thanks, guys, and uh, really appreciate the show. Admire the work you do. I have one quick anecdote and uh, a suggestion on the storyline 
Um, I was out on the West Coast earlier in the year and overheard some Cowboys fans bemoaning their uh, Dallas Cowboys and suggesting that they're no longer America's team. And their consensus was that was uh, – that the Bills are likely America's team these days, and and that's the reason why I'm a little disappointed in the, the you know the drama associated with the the dig stuff falling out into the public view as opposed to behind closed doors. I've always proud prided myself on the Bills being a no drama kind of situation. In terms of the storyline, I think the bean accumulation of draft capital going into next year is an under-discussed storyline. He picked up two. They'll be the compensatory pick. And I don't think he's done with the depth of this roster and the excruciatingly painful cuts that are going to need to be made. He's likely going to be able to trade for some future draft capital. So I think, you know, they're really balancing the long term, you know, because as much as we'll make the cap, some of the stuff's been kicked down the road. And the only answer to that is, is strong draft. Um, and I think they're set up well for the long term, and I don't think that's getting the coverage it deserves. Thanks again, guys. Yeah, no problem, Bob. It's understandable. It's a little off in the distance, you know, the 2024 draft. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got two sixes from the Rams and Houston, so they have a couple of extra six-round picks because I don't believe they have their own anymore. So they're plus one there. And then the anticipation is they will get a compensatory third for the loss of Tremaine Edmonds in free agency with the monster contract he signed in Chicago. So nine total picks last year, four in the top three rounds. Yeah. And, I, and once again, I'll, I'll say it. I, my take on this whole thing and, and, and the way, you know, uh, Bob mentioned it, the drama. Um, when you're trying to grow, you're doing it. This stuff's going to come. The drama is going to happen. Usually it is behind closed doors, but it, don't think that it doesn't happen in teams that are ascending. I'm sure Cincinnati went through some of that in the early days of their new coach and then with Joe Burrow sliding in. Um, it happens on every team. You don't always see it publicly. Uh, maybe if there has been one problem, maybe that's it. But I, I would say this. I don't think the Bills are done hurting a little bit over the growth they need to, to have happen to get to the place where they're Super Bowl champions. It's, it's got to happen. Some teams, it seems like, man, it's nothing. It just you just it just happens easy. It's effortless. It, don't believe it. It's hard. Um, tough decisions have to be made. Beliefs have to be tested. And you got to work hard at it. And it's, it's not pleasant sometimes. So I'm not really – that's why I'm not really uh, too upset over the, you know, the things that we've been hearing and reading about the Bills uh, over the last – Two weeks, a week or ten days. Break time for us here, but some final thoughts on the tweet sheet on underappreciated storylines next here on One Bills Live. All right, back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. Connor says, Bean's ability to revamp the Bills roster and make it one of the best since becoming the Bills GM without anyone in the NFL or national media noticing. I definitely believe this is the best roster he's put together because the last season the Bills are going unnoticed. Buffalo John, what changes on the defensive side of the ball now that McDermott is taking over? Um, 
Is he asking a question or is he making a statement? He didn't put a question mark in there. Um, I'm not sure. But, you know, I think the changes up front are well documented. You're deeper as a pass, proven pass rushing group. I think with this, Rousseau, this is, Miller, and Floyd. Yeah, this is a story that needs more attention. The changes that are coming now that being that McDermott's taken over, I think that's what he's saying. I and I we'd agree that's the one big question mark that has to be answered. Certainly, Sean McDermott's earned the chops in his NFL coaching career to be thought of as a good play caller for a defense. Um, we'll see how that changes from what it was a year ago. Yeah. Ethan says, who's going to step up and be the middle linebacker now that Tremaine is gone? That's going to be a major storyline at training camp. And there are multiple candidates in on that. And we'll see how and when that gets whittled down to maybe three or two candidates. Jess says, DeMar's comeback. Yeah, you're right about that one. He comes back and puts the pads on when we get to training camp. That's when the rubber meets the road and all eyes will definitely yeah. Be on him at that point. Good stuff. Yeah. Last one here. Mark says, Dorsey's deployment of the new weapons creating an offensive identity. McDermott's philosophy on defense, hopefully in creating more turnovers and sacks. That's the idea. We're done for a Tuesday. We'll catch you tomorrow on Wednesday. Brad at one. Spielberger's on tomorrow. Yeah, from Pro Football Focus. We'll see you then.